Good evening. How wonderful it is to be here together. If you're a guest, thank you for being here. It encourages us that you're here. If you would be opening your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter. We won't have slides tonight, uh, but we encourage you to turn there. Most of the passages that we'll be looking at are right there in 1 Thessalonians 4. I think in the Bible that's in your pews, it's somewhere close to 1,050. Uh, Maybe 1,049 or 1,050. And I'd encourage you to turn your Bible or grab a Bible out of the pews so we can study together. We look forward to that time. How blessed we are to be able to come back together on Sunday evenings and worship God. What a beautiful, beautiful time that we've had in worshiping God in song. We want to encourage you to... Uh, remember a few things in your prayers and in your plans. As we mentioned this morning, we're so thankful for Barbara Scott and for her being baptized into Christ on Tuesday. Uh, This is Faye Lloyd's neighbor that she and Sharon Tigrid have been studying with for a while. And it's just a beautiful story of individuals that love God and individuals that are growing closer to God simply because of their study together. And we hope and we pray that that's a reflection of all of us, that that's what our life is about, is that we want to constantly be growing closer to Christ and we want those around us to constantly be growing closer to Christ. And that good news encourages us. Year-round, there's a great work that takes place that probably every one of you know about. It's Meals on Wheels. And tonight there'll be an appreciation dinner and a lot of honor and appreciation will simply be extended through that. But we just want to take a moment right now just to say thank you. Uh, To all of you that work in that ministry, it's such a wonderful work. It provides such a great service, but it communicates great love. And we're thankful for each one that does that. We're thankful for John Stallworth and his leadership as a deacon over uh, that particular ministry of the shut-ins and that particular work. And we're thankful for the hundred-plus individuals that work a part of that and make that a wonderful reality every week. We're thankful that our young people are back from Rush a wonderful study uh, in God's Word on Friday and Saturday and even this morning, and now they're back home safely. We're thankful for that safe return, and we're thankful for our young people. It's just hard to say enough good uh, about our young people here, and we're thankful for their life, we're thankful for their love for God, and we're thankful for Philip and Laura and their great work with our young people constantly. We want to remind you that on Family Day, this coming Sunday, All of the adult Bible classes will continue to meet as usual. So if you're a Bible class teacher on Sunday morning, classes are as usual. So continue to make your plans. And as you give invitations for your family or friends to come, be sure and invite them to be a part of your Bible class. Even if maybe they're not the same age as the ones in your class, it'd still be great for them to go to class with you. And and we, we would hope that you would do that and that that would be a wonderful time together because of that. Also, in Christian Chronicle, there's a section that's run uh, from time to time that's a spotlight upon a church in the brotherhood And Bobby Ross Jr. will be here next Sunday. And there's various works that we're a part of that he has asked if he could interview various ones about that work. And so over the next couple of days, you'll be, some of you will be receiving phone calls or emails asking if you can give 10 or 15 minutes to talk with him sometime Sunday. And we'll be scheduling those times so that they'll be scattered throughout the afternoon. So we just, we want to give you a heads up 
even in addition to that, just to say, if, if you see someone around next Sunday taking some photographs uh, at, underneath the tent or just throughout the facility, you'll know what that is about. And we welcome him and we hope that God receives all the glory. Surely any and all of us would know uh, that the great good that we enjoy here is not the work of man. And that's what makes it good. And we want to give God the glory uh, for all that is good, for surely he has blessed us richly. Tonight, there's a change of topic and title from what is in your Sunday morning bulletin. We've been looking at relationships this morning and um, this month, and what I want to do this evening is talk about something that when I first say it, it may sound odd, but it's right there in the Bible. And that is, what is your relationship, or at least your understanding, if you will, to your own body? When I got to looking at this this week, it It's really amazing how messed up our culture is as it relates to the understanding of the human body, beauty, and even human sexuality. I know in the past few weeks we've covered a lot about that last one, and tonight that's not really the primary purpose. The primary purpose of tonight's lesson is how are we supposed to view our body? You see, we live in a time that it's probably safe to say that there are many, many Americans, and it's not just America, it's many other parts of the world also, where, where beauty and the human body has become an idol. It's become something that we esteem so highly that, it, that it's worshipped. And with this, what does it do to us as individuals? What does it do to a culture? And how right or how wrong is it? And so tonight, let's look at a passage that teaches us how we're supposed to view our body and, and, and how important it is that we have a proper understanding. Because anytime we use anything that God gives us in a way that is wrong, we will suffer and others around us will suffer also. So are we really off course? By way of introduction, could I suggest to you about 10 things that might just be kind of an eye-opener? In other words, I want to just kind of pull back the veil because there's some things we get used to, and maybe if we just hear them all at one time, and by no means is this all of them, but if we just hear these 10 at one time, maybe it's kind of like, wow, we really do need to give this some thought. What has culture told us on these topics? Culture has convinced us that if you really want to sell something, you need sex in order to sell. There has to be a sex appeal. And we see it, and you name any product almost, and it's sold through a sex appeal. We also see that beauty magazines have created such a high, unrealistic, impossible, airbrush standard of beauty that no one could achieve it. But yet, many, many girls and women have made that their idol. And that's brought on this crazy craze of plastic surgery. And then, our culture has become so nasty that we have to rate our songs, our movies, our videos... And even our video games. Immodesty is now stretching from the beaches to the church benches and everywhere in between. Sexting is one of the latest crazes 
that is of epidemic proportion, that is perverted communication between individuals that are not married to each other. Pornography is one of the oldest industries in the world, and yet it's in highest demand ever. Divorce is on the decline, but only because cohabiting is on the rise. Adultery is still hurting as many children and spouses, families, churches, and communities as ever, but is still found as much favor as ever. And finally, polygamy and homosexuality have found their place on primetime television to just reveal ten aspects of our culture. Friends, there is no way we can be anything that God wants us to be through the lenses of culture. We cannot just stiff-arm culture and keep culture at a distance, but if we are truly going to be children of God, we're going to have to break away, a clean, full break away from culture and stand totally apart from culture because the culture that we live in is really, really perverted. What are we supposed to be? How did we get to this point as a culture? Well, we didn't get here overnight. And then we have to bring to mind the question of with every journey, there's a destination. Where is this journey taking us? If we do an in-depth study on these topics as it relates to America, and please understand me, I'm not saying America is the worst society that's ever been. Oh, there have been many cultures that have been a lot more perverted than us. When you look at the end of the Roman Empire, you see that they were far more perverted than we are. And you know what? They didn't do well, they didn't fare well, and they didn't end well. In other words, it was a journey that had a destination, finally, of destruction. Well, where's our journey? If you want to go back and study it here in America, it really begins in the 60s. It's called the sexual revolution. And then you go to the 70s and you see that journey brought divorce as common throughout the communities. And then the 80s brought the supermodels that set that standard for the first time in America, that unrealistic standard of beauty. And in the 90s, we brought homosexuality out of the closet. And at the turn of the millennium, we brought the computers to our homes with internets that brought more pornography than what a superstore, adult store could hold. And never before have we ever had the rage of addiction in America the way we do now because of that. Friends, we're on a journey. And it's like if you warm the water up very slowly, you don't notice it's continually getting hotter. But when you go back and study culture, there are huge, horrific marks and, and movements of destruction and as a culture, we're on it. And as Christians, we have to recognize the difference in what God calls us to be and what culture would mold us to be. 
Do not be conformed, shaped by, molded by. Do not be conformed by the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Tonight, are you willing to go into a study of 1 Thessalonians 4 and see what is it that God would want us to understand about our body? I'd like to take just a moment to go immediately to 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 4. This is what we want to develop tonight. And then I'd like to spend a few minutes looking at the verses that led up to this and a few minutes looking at the verses that follow this and then come back to this verse and just make some closing comments. So let's notice verse 4. It's the middle of a sentence, but we're going to drop back and pick up the whole sentence. But look at 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 4. That each of you, if you're a child of God, this is written to you. That each of you should know how to possess his own vessel. That's his body. That each of us should know how to possess our own vessel. How? In sanctification and in honor. The word sanctification is the idea of set apart for a service to God. In other words, in in the Old Testament, there was the temple. And inside the temple, there were furnishings that were sanctified. They were holy. They were set apart. You weren't allowed to take these, these vessels and go back and use them in your house for common things. The priest couldn't just take those things back. Why? Because they were set apart for a holy purpose. Do you realize now, under the new covenant, you and I are holy. Our body is supposed to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. Our body, he says, do you know how to possess? Now we're talking about stewardship. God says, I want to give you something. God, what are you going to give me? I'm going to give you a body. What are you? We are body and soul. And our problem is in culture is we think we're only a body and we promote that body and we worship that body. And God says, no, no, you are body and soul. The truth is, if you're more of one and less of the other, you're more soul than you are body. Because your body is only a house that's temporary for your soul that once this body dies or Jesus comes again, you still exist in soul and you'll be given a new body, but this body is going to decay. And so we think, all right, so he says, I'm going to give you a vessel, your body and a stewardship. How are you going to possess it? And he says, I tell you how I want you to possess it. I want you to possess it with sanctification. You are set apart for a purpose to serve God. Do you use your body in such a way that serves God? Do you use your body in such a way that shows that your body is for God's service? Do you remember in 1 Corinthians, the 6th chapter in verse 18, he said, flee fornication. Pause here for a moment. Let's not take anything for granted. Let's ask the bold questions. God, how can you tell me what to do with my body? He would say, if you're my child... It's not your body. Verse 19, he would say, you're not your own. Verse 20, he would say, you have been bought with a price. In other words, if we truly are good stewards, possessing the body that he has given us in sanctification, we realize it's not mine to do what I would will. This is God's body. And we possess it in sanctification and in honor. Towards the end of this lesson, we're going to come back and talk about what it means to possess this body in honor. But as we think about all this, I want you to think about this simple illustration. What if you're at someone's house as a guest and and you walk up and maybe they're on the back porch and they have the best iced tea that has ever been served? It's a hot summer day and you're looking forward to that iced tea. And they reach over on their back porch and there's a little bit of motor oil in a vessel. And they just take and they kind of pour that motor oil out and, and they pour in that best iced tea in the world and they hand it to you. Are you going to drink it? 
You'd say, no, I'm not. Why? It's the best iced tea in the world. You said, did you see the vessel they put it in? Why would I drink the best iced tea in the world if it's in, if it's in a vessel that is corrupted and corroded? Friends, we can come together and we can say, I'm going to fill my mind with, with worship tonight and I'm going to worship God and, and I'm going to open the scriptures and I'm going to study God's word and I'm going to take it to heart. Friends, what kind of body are we putting all of this in? We're playing games with ourselves. If our idea is we're going to put some holiness in a vessel that is unholy. Listen, I can't go out and treat this body like the world treats the body. I can't corrupt beauty the way the world corrupts beauty. I can't do profane things with this body and perverted things with this body and some way figure out that it's all all right. What is this body about? God says literally the way you possess your body, I want it to be sanctified. Your body itself, I want it to be sanctified. I want the way you possess your body to bring honor to me. What does that look like? It doesn't look anything like the world. And you know what's interesting to me is these verses we're about to read start in verse 1. I would imagine that this was a very difficult sale. Because even today, what's the most common thing people say? It's my body, I'll do what I want to do. And apparently that was a big problem back then. Because as we read this... I'll point it out to you, but you'll notice it. The first three verses, you know what he's saying over and over and over three times in three verses? This isn't man's way. I'm telling you this message is from God. I suppose that those of Thessalonica were going to have a hard time believing that somebody could tell them what to do with their body. But friends, that's the God we serve. He is the creator. We are the creation. We decide if we want to submit to him. He has breathed his image into us, the breath of life. We have a soul. And so the question is, are we willing to let this vessel that houses our soul bring glory and honor to him? Let's look at this in verse 1. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more. See, that's increase. That's growing. We, none of us have arrived. And notice this, just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. He says, I want to tell you how your life and this body, your walk, in other words, your conduct. And I want it to be that that pleases God. But see, he even points out here in this verse, this is from Jesus Christ. Paul says, this is not me telling you how to live your life. This is from Jesus Christ. Verse 2, for you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus Christ. Hear it again. Remember, we gave you commandments. It wasn't commandments of men. This is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3. For this is the will of man. No, this is the will of God. And now we're back to sanctification. What's the will of God? Your sanctification that you should abstain from sexual immorality. So that's one example. How do we possess our body? Sanctification. If we are sanctified, we will not participate in sexual immorality that the culture would sell us. And that brings us to verse 4, the text for the night, that each of you should, should know how to possess his own vessel, his own body, in sanctification and honor. Now, as opposed to, not in passion of lust. Lust is epithemia. It's that strong desire when it's connected with passion. It's zealous desire. And most of the time, epithemia is talking about sinful lust. And so he's saying, we could possess this vessel in sanctification and honor, or we could possess this vessel where we say, what am I going to do? I'm going to do whatever I'm passionate and zealous about from a fleshly nature. In other words, whatever I lust for, that's what I'm going to do with this body. And, and so notice what's going to happen with that as we continue reading 5. 
that's like the heathens. That's like the Gentiles. See, that's not like Christ. It's like the Gentiles, what? Who do not know God. The way you use your body, would it reflect people that do not know God? Verse 6 gives the warning that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanliness, that would be the culture, but in holiness. This is the sanctified and honorable life. Therefore, he who, notice this strong teaching, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us His Holy Spirit. The first three verses, he drives home saying, I want you to know this isn't from man, this is from God. He closes this paragraph by saying, let me remind you, if you reject the teaching on how to use your body, you have not rejected man. You have rejected, not just the sayings of God. You have rejected God. What is it that God wants of us? He wants us to use our life in a way that brings honor to Him. When you look at Romans, the first chapter... In Romans, the first chapter, we're given some insight of why homosexuality is wrong. I suppose the Bible would teach us a few reasons why that it's wrong. But I want you to see tonight, not just this particular topic. Now, I know as we look at this, it's easy to just focus on this. But I want you to see a broader picture. We're talking about how to live a life of honor by the way we use our body. What's wrong with homosexuality? Romans 1, verse 24, which, by the way, see, when they begin... Uh, a life of moving away from the Creator, they began to worship the creation, and the result of that was it moved them into idolatry and to all kind of sexual perversions. Today, we have all kind of idols in America in our culture. Some of them are celebrities. Some of them are, are simple things like like beauty and and materialism, and all of these are tied to greed and to lust. And so when we move away from God, that's where it leaves us. But notice the dishonorable things that we do. Look here in 24. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanliness and the lust of their hearts to what? Dishonor their bodies among themselves. So first he says you're going to dishonor your bodies. How is homosexuality a dishonor of the bodies? We're supposed to live a life that is honorable. If we use a creation in the way that the Creator did never, never intended for it to be used. It's a dishonor to the Creator. Let me give you a, a simple illustration that I, I think of when I think of this passage. I want you to imagine that someone gave you a beautiful painting, and they spent a lot of hours, and it's a masterpiece. It had great worth. It's a great investment of time. And they gave you that masterpiece, and you're on the phone... And that masterpiece is laying still on the table because since they've given it to you, you hadn't had time to hang it. It's, it's there. And someone says, hey, can I give you a phone number? And you pull out a pen. You say, sure, sure. And you reach over in the cloud of that masterpiece and you write down the phone number and the note on it. The person that comes back through that has given you their masterpiece 
They're the ones that's created this. How are they going to feel about you using their masterpiece as a notepad? How does God feel whenever we misuse our bodies for the way He has designed for them to be used? He says, that dishonors me. I would like to say to you tonight, but I don't know if I could prove this. I would like to say to you that my opinion is this is the greatest sin and the greatest reasoning of sin in homosexuality. What's the greatest wrong about fornication? What's the greatest aspect that is wrong about adultery? What is the greatest aspect that is wrong about homosexuality? It is the misuse of God's very own creation where God said, I gave you that body to bring honor to me and instead you used what I gave you to dishonor me. And that's why when we read, for example, in 26, depending on what translation you have, but mine says, for this reason, God gave them up to vile passion. Vile means shameful. What's shameful? Shameful is dishonorable. In other words, he says, you know how you got here? You have dishonorable lust. You have dishonorable passion. And he even calls it shameful in 27 where he says, Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the women burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is what? Shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty, the error that was due. I'm not saying this is the only thing wrong about it, but this is the thing that God emphasizes over and over and over. He says, do you see what you're doing? You are dishonoring me by the way I have made you, by the way I have created you. And what does God want? He wants us to bring honor to Him. As we close tonight, I'd I'd like to just make one more quick point. Back to this idea of beauty. How does it dishonor God when we esteem beauty as a God? When our girls are finding their identity in how they look? How hard is it to convince a young lady today that grows up in this society that that's not where her identity is? How hard is it to convince 30, 40, and 50-year-old ladies that that's not your identity in the society we are in today? I dare say that me saying this, there's probably several in this audience that says, I don't get it. That is our identity. What, what are you talking about? That Everybody knows that's who we are is what we look like. I want to illustrate this by using... It's a combination of a lady who did research from Cornell University and then from Bruce McClarty, some work that he has done, and he's from Searcy, Arkansas. It's called The Body Project that was done in the the late 90s. And the idea was this. Let's study beauty and see if there has always been this misunderstanding and this mindset, or has it changed? And so one of the aspects of the body project was this. They went back and they found many, many copies of girls' diaries 
teenage girls' diaries from back as early as 1836 all the way up to the present time. And they researched, they read every word of these diaries. Would it surprise you that from 1836 to the 1950s, what most of the diaries contained, and this was a cross-section of America and it had nothing to do with religion, nothing to do with religion. You know what the teenage girls wrote about, almost without exception? They wrote about character. They wrote about whether or not they were practicing self-control. They wrote about their family. They wrote about their friends. And they wrote about God. But up until 1950, you know what hardly existed at all? They never wrote about what they looked like. Or regrets that they had about their body. Now when Bruce McClarty revealed this research to the congregation where he preached in Searcy, Arkansas. There was a lady in her 70s, a very, very well-dressed, well-groomed, attractive lady. And she heard this and she thought to herself, that's so hard to believe. Surely girls back then thought about that. And she was in that era. And so she's trying to think. And so she challenged this. She went home And that night, she did not go to sleep until she read every page of her diary when she was 15 to 16 years old. It was written in the 1940s. She came to Bruce the next day at the office and she laid it down in front. She said, you know what? I listened to you last night and I decided to do my own little research. And here is me. I want you to read it. But let me go ahead and tell you what you're going to find. To my surprise even, I read every word of it last night. And I talked about my family, I talked about my friends, I talked about my girlfriends, and I talked about the boys that I thought was cute. I even talked about the boy that I kissed. I talked about my character, I talked about my God. But she said, you know what, you were right. Never once did I refer to my looks, to something I didn't like about my body, my weight, a bad hair day, or anything of that nature. Friends, listen to me. We are messed up in society. It is not God's plan for us to find our identity based upon some weird, strange, airbrushed fabrication of beauty. And we've got young men that are pornographic, addicted animals because they are following that. We have young ladies that believe that they're supposed to live up to something that God has created them in a beautiful fashion. God has created them exactly the way he wants them to be. And they're going to spend the rest of their life wondering why they can't serve culture's idol. It breaks my heart. We don't find our identity in culture. We don't find our identity in this messed up version of all things. You can go back in America. It came in the 60s when beauty magazines became so much a part of culture. And you know what? National Geographic says 80% of all women are greatly disgusted by their own body. Because they read. And fall prey to the beauty magazine standards. 
Isn't that interesting? Beauty magazines makes women feel ugly. And God says, I've made you exactly the way I want you. Besides, it's not your body that you worship. It's will you hold your vessel and use it in such a way that glorifies me. Wait a minute, God. It makes it sound like you're talking about the inner beauty that's more important and the discipline of the body is more important than the looks. Friends, I'm just offering to you tonight that for thousands of years, we understood that as people. And we've really lost our way. I don't want to challenge moms and dads. I don't want to challenge grandparents. We've got to set a standard that's so different from culture. We don't have to set the standard. God set the standard. We've just got to heed to it. And I want to close by reading one verse. If you will, go to 2 Corinthians 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 16, our our beauty, our worth, our self-confidence, it's not tied into into culture's uh, idol. Instead, it's tied into our relationship with God. You remember in Philippians 3 where Paul said he had no confidence in the flesh, but now that he's become a Christian, you remember he said all things that that were gained to him, he counted as loss. Why? Because now his life and, and his body and his soul was all about exalting the Lord. When we find our real purpose for life, we love who we are. When we truly love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we naturally love ourselves as our neighbor. And so here's a beautiful thought. Instead of having this this aspect of beauty that once we get in our 20s, we're we're going to be getting further away from it all of the time, why not have this beauty? Look at verse 16 of 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Here's how we don't give up. Here's how we have the spirit to live on. Even though our outward person, our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being what? Renewed day by day. We understand what it is physically to be renewed. How many times do, do we see those young men that they get to be ninth, 10th, 11th grade and they start lifting some weights and, and outwardly, what do you see? A year later, you say, wow, look how they are growing. Or we see that little girl at, at eight years old and her bangs are flopping in her, on her forehead and then a 16-year-old, you, you say, wow, isn't she a beautiful young lady? We understand physically what it is to be renewed, what it is to grow. Do we understand it Spiritually. Do you realize that the strongest, the most beautiful people in this room are the ones that have spent their life maturing inwardly? If we looked at inner spiritual beauty, this room is full of individuals that in the sight of God, they're gorgeous, they're beautiful, and they're getting stronger and more beautiful Every day. But physically, we're aging every day. Our body's perishing every day. And that's okay. Because this body, we're just using it for a little while. It's the soul. It's the inward person that's us that will live on and on. How foolish are we if we pay all of our attention and give all of our worth and identity to the part that's temporary. And we ignore and we belittle 
and berate what really matters and what's really us. I wish I had a real neat bow to put around this lesson where you could leave and say, here's three things you can work on. The more I studied this lesson, the more I confused I got. But I know this. God tells us what to focus on. And the world will point us in the opposite direction. Tonight, let's listen to God. Tonight, if you've never been baptized into Christ or if you need to be restored, if we can help you in any way, our simple goal, our desire is that we want the inner person to be renewed day by day and we want to be more like our Lord and we want to place the emphasis upon Him and what He places the emphasis upon. We want the inner person to be the most beautiful aspect of our life. We want to reflect our God. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.